0: out today I want to start off with a little light-hearted thing though I want to talk about a miser that I heard about I don't know if you ever <clears throat> if you ever looked at the Guinness Book of World's Records when you were uh, young I, I looked at them and one of the things that really stuck out with me I remember today I don't remember much of it but there was a lady named Hattie do you remember Hattie she was the world's worst miser it said and it told about how She saved all of her money. She wouldn't take her son to uh, get him looked at by a doctor so he had his leg amputated. She ate cold food and died from that. Well, I heard about another guy that was a miser. He kind of pulled the same stuff over with his family and with his wife. And he would stick all of his money in these totes and put the lid on it and take it up to the attic and hide it up there. And one day his wife asked him and said, why are you doing that? He said, so that whenever I go, I can grab that money on the way up as I go to see Jesus. <laughs> well, lo and behold, that day came. And afterwards, it was a little while, but his wife got to thinking about that. And it hit her. All, he put all of that up there. She said, I wonder if it's still there, if he got it. So she goes up into the attic, approaches that tote, reaches down and flips the lid off. All the money was still there. She just shook her head and said, I knew he should have put those totes in the basement. <laughs> <Whew>. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit about the basement because there's some folks that, uh, in our story that's going to be there. Um, the angelic conflict. If you want to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6, we're going to, that's where the story of Noah is. And as you turn there, I'm going to get you up to speed a little bit. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve in the garden, they partake of the forbidden fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They fall. The serpent, the man, and the woman is lined up before God, and it goes down from man, woman, so God turns to the serpent, and he gives an edict in chapter 3 and verse 15 where he says that, Because of this, I am going to put enmity, and that word just means a deep hatred, okay? Violent hatred. I'm going to put a deep hatred between you and the woman. Between her seed and your seed. Her seed will bruise your head. In other words, give you the ultimate blow. While you will only bruise his heel. A light blow. So, at that moment, whether we think about it or not... Believe me, Satan knew. And what he knew was, was that through the seed of woman, through childbearing, that there would come someone who would provide the ultimate blow to his head. That would cast him into what Jesus said in Matthew 25, the lake of fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. He knew that the seed of woman was going to cause this downfall, so we may not have noticed But his entire forces were out to stop that from happening from that point forward. It started in the next chapter. Cain and Abel. The descendancy was going to go through Abel. He was righteous. He was just. He did the sacrifices he was supposed to. Cain's heart was filled with the wicked one. And he overthrew him and he rose up against his brother. So then we have to have in Genesis 5... The genealogy. And you wonder why only five chapters into the scriptures that we have to have a complete genealogy given. From Adam to Noah. Why is that so important? Why is there already a genealogy given? Well, I'm here to contend that it's because of the angelic conflict. It's because the devil knows that through the genealogy of woman that a Messiah was going to come. And that is why throughout all the scriptures, everything from Genesis 3 to the death on the cross was to stop Jesus, the seed of the woman, from coming and fulfilling the plan of God and sealing the doom of Satan in that, in that work that he done. And so that is why the genealogy is given to prove that as we get ready for the story of Noah, that he is pure lineage from the seed of woman as we prepare. So if you would now, now we're ready. If you're there with me in Genesis chapter 6 with your Bibles, if not, it's overhead so that you can see it because I want you to see this for yourself or you won't believe it. Genesis 6, starting in verse 1, says, now... At the end of this genealogy, now it came to pass that when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all that they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh." Yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. And there were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men and bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old. These were men of renown. And then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But, if you've been around here a while, you know that we love the buts of the Bible. But, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And this, again, is a genealogy of Noah. For Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Wow. Didn't you think that God's wonderful creation that just five chapters ago as he's going through there and he's saying this is good and this is good, and at the end he said this is very good. Don't you think that it would last longer than five chapters in the Bible. Why does it have to happen? Because I'm here to show you today from only the Word of God. I don't have any other notes except for what slides are coming up here, but it's just going to be a Bible study on the true story. I mean, in Sunday school, we learned about Noah and the ark. We learned about the animals coming in two by two and he built the boat But the reason behind it is something different. In the clean animals, there were seven of those that came because they needed to be a a plethora of those once they landed. One would be offered for sacrifice and the rest would be progenating those for sacrifice to the Lord. So there was seven of the clean animals and two by two of the unclean animals. But why? What happened? Well, I'm here to say that it was an angelic infiltration. That the angels crossed over from their abode from where they were supposed to be bound in the heavenly realm and that they chose women cohabitated with them in sexual relationships and bore progeny that were half demon dna and half human dna and this is the reason why god had to destroy everything because it was a satanic outright attack upon the lineage of Christ from the seed of woman. So with that in mind, let's begin to exegete these passages. In in verse 1, it says, At this time, men were multiplying, and the daughters were born to them. And the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. And so they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. The Holy Spirit here is making a big distinction between who are the sons of God and who are the daughters of men. And I think we understand that daughters of men that was born unto them is mankind like you and I. The real linchpin of our study is is who are these sons of God? Now, the people who study the original language knows that this is a particular term for angelic beings that it's only used in four places in the scripture genesis 6 job 1 job 2 job 38 and that's where we're going to be going next because we're going to use those three passages in job to prove that the sons of god are angelic beings that's the only time this term is used so If you want to turn to the book of Job right before Psalms to chapter 1, you can. Uh, If not, it's going to be up on the board for you. But in Job chapter 1, it says this about the man named Job. If you go to verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God, there's our phrase, the sons of God. What did they do? There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. So whoever these guys are, they're before the Lord, and Satan is one of them, isn't he? And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth in it. Now, I want you to know that this is a special meeting that God has called for His created beings, the sons of God. This is not you and I. How do we know that? First off, it's in the heavenly realm before the throne of God. Second of all, He asked Satan himself, where did you come from? And he says, from the earth. I've been walking about. I've been going to and fro and up and down and back and forth. So we are not on earth we are before God, and these are the sons of God that are presented there. Now, Bob Seeger, I, I know that you guys are, that Rick's from my generation, and Bob Seeger, he had a song that said, Turn the Page. I'm on the road again, here I am, turn the page. Job chapter 2, verse 1. After that, Job had got utterly destroyed in, verse, in chapter 1. Now, chapter 2, it says... Again, there was a day, so this is a second time, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. So here is a second time that we have a convocation of the sons of God and Satan is a part of them and it's not on the earth now third time is the charm Job 38 turn on back a little further in the book of Job and by this time Job's got supposedly friends there they're they're berating him things have been going on Job's really painful he's frustrated. And he begins to question God like you and I do when bad things happen and people say bad things to you. And so God now, I'm glad he doesn't do this to me because it would scare me to death. I'd probably just die of a heart attack flat out. But the Lord appears to Job in a whirlwind in chapter 38. And the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and he said this, Who is this that darkness darkens counsel by words without knowledge? You know, if you start professing some things to God that you don't think is fair or that why. You need to have some knowledge behind those things because he has ultimate knowledge. He's omniscient. And so now he comes before him and he says, who is this that darkens my counsel without any knowledge? Now look what he tells him. He goes, okay, prepare yourself like a man. I like the old King James. Gird up your loins like a man and get prepared to face me then, Job. Let's talk about this. Prepare yourself. I'm going to question you and you're going to answer me, okay? Give me some answers. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me. You've got so much understanding. Tell me, where were you when I laid the foundation? Who determined its measurements? Surely you know that since you know all things and know more than I do. Who stretched out the line upon it? To what is the foundations fastened? Who laid its cornerstone? Tell me if you can. So what we have here is the earth in preparation, isn't it? When God is preparing it. So it's not even prepared yet. So we know that the sixth day of creation hasn't come for man to even be around. But look who was around. Verse 7. Where were you when the morning stars all sang together... And all the sons of God shouted for joy. You know, there was sons of God there whenever Job is being discoursed by God. And he says, as I laid the foundation, as I stretched the line upon it, as I fastened it and laid the cornerstone, the sons of God were shouting for joy. That's angelic beings. This is the only time this term is used in all of Scripture in the Old Testament. So now, let's go back to Genesis chapter 6 as we move forward because hopefully the Bible has explained the Bible in letting us know who the sons of God are and they're going to do something with the daughters of men and something's going to happen so that God has to send the flood. So in verse 1 again, we began to multiply The sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. They took wives for themselves of all that they chose. And now, we're beginning to see why there's a genealogy in chapter 5. Because there's a crossover happening. The Lord said, my spirit's not going to strive, it's not going to try to quarrel with this. Because, he says, there's going to be 180 days Because He is indeed flesh. And that word is really supposed to be translated also in the original language. So He is also flesh. In other words, when they came together, He's not only DNA of an angelic Son of God, He is also flesh. And I have a responsibility to them. So the principle is there's always grace before judgment. So there's going to be 120 years of grace where Noah... A preacher of righteousness is going to preach for 120 years while the ark is a preparing so that they will have the opportunity, those that are also flesh, to be able to be saved from the flood if they would listen to that. It says, we're going to see in a moment, wherein few, that is eight souls, ended up being saved by water. And a like figure also saves us today. And that's where we're going in a moment. But it says that there will be 120 years between God's proclamation that I'm going to destroy it while the ark is preparing before the flood comes, and that is a grace period. Verse 4, there were giants on the earth in those days. The word giant is Nephilim. If you've ever done Google searches or on YouTube and you've seen Nephilim, that is the word that's used here for giants. The real word for giants is Raphaim. Raphaim. So this is not the same word that's used in like numbers when Joshua, Caleb, and the other ten go in to spy out the land and they saw giants and were like grasshoppers in their sight. This is a different word. It comes from the root word nephal, which means to fall. So how this should really read is, is that there were fallen ones in that day. So there were on the earth, the fallen ones, what happened? When the sons of God came in to the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were mighty men who were of old, men of renown. If you got a King James or New King James, that word children there is in italics. It's copied that way on the board too, I think. But what that means is is that's put in there by the translator so you'd understand. But the word uh, there means something quite a little different. It's not just that they were children. It means the same. So the same was born unto them. And that means that they were demonic type beings. The Lord saw in verse 5 the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intent and thought of the heart was continually evil. That's why we constantly talk about keeping your mind pure. Proverbs says that as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. And so that's why every thought, it tells us, is supposed to be taken into captivity. That's why Paul always encourages you to think on that which is good. Think on that which is pure. Think on that which is holy. Because sin and disobedience begins in your mind. And so you have to take every thought. Look how important it was here that God has to place it here to say that every thought, every intent even of the heart was nothing but evil. And he became sorry and that word is like a deep breath. It's like you shake your head. It's like when your, your kids have been doing something wrong. You, now I've got to deal with it. And that's basically what this means. God now has to deal with it. Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. He is omniscient. He knows everything. He knew this was going to happen. And now that it's here, it's grieving him. He takes this deep breath. He says, I'm going to have to destroy the earth now. Everything in it. And if you look, it says even the creeping things, even the birds of the air. Everything I'm going to destroy of what I have made. But... Verse 8, those butts of the Bible. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why did he find grace in the eyes of the Lord? Two reasons. Next verse. This is the genealogy of Noah. Wow, here we go. Pretty important about this genealogy, isn't it? About a true lineage to the Christ. Here's the genealogy of Noah. Here's the two reasons why he found favor in the eyes of God. He was a just man. He believed in God followed God's word he did what he said Hebrews 11 tells us that by faith Noah in fear prepared an ark to the working of saving his household so he was a just man he followed instructions and then it says this he's perfect in his generations that word perfect means continuous like a perfect circle it means no defect It means no defilement, no corruption, no decay, no spot on it. He is perfect in his generations. That's why the Holy Spirit says, I gave you Genesis 5 to show you that he is perfect in his generations. Noah then walked with God, and he begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But look at the distinction between Noah now and the rest of the world. Verse 11 the earth, though, was corrupt before God. The earth was filled with violence. Now, here's, here's something for free. Violence is the word Hamas. You ever heard that on the news? There's a group over in the Middle East that is violently against Israel all the time, God's people. They go by the term Hamas. The term is the word for violence. And it's a satanic group who is continuing this violence against the children of God. So, the world is corrupt and God looks upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt. Now catch this phrase. All flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Corrupted is in a hyphil stem. It means it's caused to be something. Something caused the flesh of all of the earth to be corrupted. To be the opposite of what Noah is. Which is pure. Which is holy in its generations. And perfect and continuous. Something corrupted it. What was it? It was back in verse 4. Whenever the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men. And bore children unto him. And it began corrupting. The DNA of the gene pool, the satanic attack upon a lineage of Christ. So, verse uh, 12 again, all flesh had corrupted, get this, their way upon the earth. And look at 13. God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence through what? Them. Them. The ones who have the corrupted DNA lineage. So, I am going to destroy them with the earth. so this folks is the true story of the flood and why it had to happen. There was a satanic infiltration that came in when the sons of God came in into the daughters of men, children were born, and the greatest single most minded attack of Satan to derail. The plan of God for His punishment in the lake of fire was to corrupt that gene pool because if He did, He would make God a liar because God had proclaimed that the seed of woman would curse His head and crush it, not the seed of the sons of God. This is not new from Genesis 3. Like we said, it went from Cain and Abel to this one, which was a mastermind plan. It continues on. Exodus 1, you've got... Moses having to be saved because all of the male children are going to be killed so that we can stop this lineage from going. All the way through when it was found that it was David's lineage, it was down to one baby that was saved. Then we get to the New Testament. Did you ever wonder why Matthew and Luke both start out with the genealogy of Jesus Christ? We skip over it, but you know what that means? That's a proclamation by the Holy Spirit, not only to you and I, but to the devil and his angels because they read scripture, they know it, he quoted it to Jesus in the temptations. And it is there as a proclamation to the devil, his angels, to God's holy angels and to us that the lineage of Christ from Adam to Jesus was perfect, it was intact, and it came as it was planned. And so the satanic attack was all the way through there. What happens next? Wise men, they come. They present themselves before Herod, who is evil-filled. And they said, where is he that is born, the king of the Jews? We saw his star. We know he is here. Herod, at that point, smiled and said, go worship him. But when you do, come back and let me know. (laughs) He, he. Where he is. Because I want to worship him too. Yeah right. You wanted to destroy him. Why? Because when he saw he was confounded. And the wise men were told by God to leave a different way. And they went undetected. What happened? Herod sent out another verdict. To kill all of the male children from two years old and under. We've frantically got to stop the lineage of Jesus. So he doesn't crush my head. And seal my fate. Now. Now. Just in case you think I've been stretching this a little bit. We got three passages in the New Testament that verify everything that we just talked about. So if you want to go to 2 Peter chapter 2, you guys thought we were done, didn't you? You could smell the food like I do, and you're just thinking, mm-mm, we're just about there. Oh, contrary, we got just a short way to go. Second Peter chapter 2. And this is leading up to this. At There's a reason why all of this is in the Scripture. Not only to show that Jesus' lineage was true and that He was the Son of God, but it's also going to be listing in the next two passages the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah as evidences to those who, like those angelic beings and like those that were in there, who disobey the Word of God, who don't trust in Him and place their trust in Jesus. And what happens to them? You say, nothing's happening. They're, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We just had everything's good both ways, so why bother? Well, here's the reason. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Verse 3 says that their judgment will become just like the what I'm getting ready to tell you in verse 4. Verse 3 says, their judgment does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, talking about angels who sinned and you might think that might be when they rebelled against God that's not the flood no sin means to hear something like thus saith the Lord thou shalt not and you disregard that and do it anyway that's sin so there were angels who heard something from God and they decided to go ahead and do something anyway but because of what they did God cast them down to hell Delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And God didn't spare the ancient world either. But what? He saved Noah. One of eight people. A preacher of righteousness for 120 years we might add. Bringing on the flood of the world of the ungodly. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. And condemned them to destruction. Making both of these illustrations as examples To those who afterward desire to live ungodly. So there was a reason why God put this in here. It wasn't to knock us off our feet when it says that angels crossed over or that he rained fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. But it's because he does not desire anyone to be lost. He wants all to come to repentance. He gave 120 years to the time of Noah when it was extreme violence. He doesn't want you to be lost. And he set up two big monuments to proclaim that. That you do not be lost. But you follow God and what he does. I like verse 9 there. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. And how to reserve the unjust. Under punishment for the days of judgment. So there is... Just as there's a distinction between the sons of God and the daughters of men, there's also a distinction in this world of those who live justly and those who live unjustly. God knows how to deliver you out of the temptations and how to reserve those unto punishment who do not obey. Now let's go to Jude. It's a couple more books over to your right. If you go to Revelation, like I did, you went too far and you got to fold your flaps back and come back one more. Jude is right before Revelation. And it's only one chapter. It's very short. He says the same thing that 2 Peter does about all of this and, and that the people who do not want to follow God. And then he says this about verse 6 of Jude. The angels who did not keep their proper domain. Hmm. How did the angels sin? They had an edict of God. So Second Peter said the angels sinned. Well, this gives us a little more information. They were the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but they left their own abode. So we've got a group called the sons of the God who did not keep their proper domain. They left that abode, and now they are reserved, just as Peter said, in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. And just like Sodom and Gomorrah as well and the cities around them in a similar manner of these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality, gone after, now here's the key word for both Sodom and Gomorrah and the angelic infiltration. They gone after strange flesh. These are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So, angelic beings who did not keep their their abode, their first estate. God said thou shalt not cross over. And they disregarded. They are held in chains. But it says that that was strange flesh to them. And that and Sodom and Gomorrah sets up a monument. For going after what is called strange flesh. Here in verse 7. One more passage and then we're done. First Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And in First Peter... Chapter 3, we've used this a lot in concerning baptism, but we've never went up to the first couple of verses before that. First Peter chapter 3 says this, talks about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and He suffered once being just for the unjust, that He might bring us, you and I, to God, He was put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive by the Holy Spirit. On that third day, the Holy Spirit resurrected him. He made him alive. This angelic conflict, this crossing over of those spirits who are in prison, who left their abode and did not stay where they were supposed to do, but crossed over in the time of Noah, that was so abhorrent to God. It was so angry that God had to destroy the earth because of them and his creation. That upon resurrection, the first destination of Jesus Christ was what? Look there. By whom? By this spirit that made him alive in verse 19. Also, Jesus went and preached to the spirit in prison. Now, who are these spirits in prison again? Well, it tells you. I'm glad you asked. Verse 20. These are those who formerly were disobedient. Isn't that what Peter and Jude had just said? That they were disobedient and did not keep their first estate. When did that happen? Well, that's the next word. When once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah... While the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. So he gives us the who. He gives us the when. And we've already got the why. There was a reason why the flood came. There was a reason why everything was destroyed. It's because of that. And it says that it was so abhorrent to Jesus, to the Spirit, to God, that whenever he arose... That sealed the deal. That was why the attack on the lineage from Genesis 3 till now happened was because we have to keep him from the cross and we have to keep him from being resurrected by the power of God because if that happens, the promise of God from Genesis 3 comes true. Our doom is sealed. We will find the abode in the lake of fire. The first thing that happens when the plan is sealed, the Holy Spirit takes jesus he goes to them and it says they're preached the word means he made a proclamation and that proclamation was this you've tried since genesis 3 to stop the plan of god you guys in particular crossed over and made the greatest attack on my line genetically you kept on all the way through history even up to killing all of the babies in herod's time but you didn't stop the plan of God and I am here as living resurrected proof that the plan of God did not fail you are going to remain where you are and all of those who believe in me and the work that I've did look what the next verse says while the ark was being prepared in which few that is eight souls were saved through water there is also an anti type that means something just like it but kind of opposite There is also an antitype which now saves us. That's pretty plain, isn't it? What now saves us? An antitype which is, he says, baptism. They were saved inside the ark, through the water... Baptism is the evidence of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you die to self. You're buried in the water, you're brought up. It's the antitype of what saves us now. The Ark saved Noah then. Baptism is the antitype that saves us now. So as our worship team makes their way on back up. Let's do a little bit of review of what we have. We've got The entire Bible is nothing but a record of the angelic conflict. From Genesis 3 to the cross, it was focused on this lineage of Jesus Christ to stop Him from being born. Now that He has went to the cross as the sinless Son of God, that focus shifts to you and I. It shifts to the Word of God trying to blind our minds to it and say it's not relevant to us. And it's to the church to try to split it apart all the time. That's why all of the talk about Jesus before he died, what did he say? I pray for unity that they all might be one as you and I are one, Father. Because he knew the attacks that was going to happen. So then, the flood and the earth's destructions was the results of this angelic attack on the lineage of Christ. Those beings we've just saw from three different passages in the New Testament are still being held to this day in chains of darkness in Tartarus awaiting their certain judgment. This story is written for us as a testimony against that as well. So therefore, we want to tell everyone about it and to tell them about our Lord and Jesus who died and was resurrected and has now provided a way... Being rebellious to God was so abhorrent that that's the first place that he went when he was resurrected. He didn't go to see his apostles and Mary and the different women who followed. He went to the pit of the Hadean realm to make a proclamation to them first that salvation is here. And he proclaimed the victory that you and I also have in Christ. And so I would say that if you're here today and you're visiting with us, You've never been baptized. You've not experienced that thing. Which now saves us. I pray that you've made up your mind. That I need to do that. This scares the the dickens out of me. I pray that you would do that. That you would not be walking out of this building lost. I would love to be all wet today. Back there as we go back there. If you've been baptized into Christ. But yet you feel like my way has kind of got lost. I've not really followed it. Make that clear to God in your heart today. 1 John 1, 9 says that if you will confess your faults to him, that he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And when it says he's faithful, that means he does it every time. Not just one time and now, oh, I've done it again so he can't. He's faithful. He does it every time. He's just. There's a reason. Because Jesus proclaimed the victory and so now he's justified to forgive us of those sins. But I pray as we close in prayer that you think about these things. Father, we thank you for today for a celebration of life of Jesus, but also the celebration of new life for 20 years. We pray, Father, that as we begin the course for the next 20 years, and yea, Father, if time exists that long, that, that this place will stand as a monument to you, to serve you, to, to be a lighthouse in the darkness, to... Shelter those who would long to be just like Noah and his family in the ark. That they want to be in the body of Christ. So that they too will be saved through the water. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen.